Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Philbin, financial coach, accredited financial counselor, certified money coach, and founder of the 4,000 Person Strong Financial Coaches Community Facebook group. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. I'm a tenured professor, a serial entrepreneur, a certified financial planner, and I run a nonprofit organization that provides financial planning resources to over 100,000 families each year. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal coaching business. What we're going to be talking about today is how do you handle the question or how do you handle questions from clients? that you don't know the answer to or aren't very sure whether you have the right answer. And well, unless you're a robot whose name is Google, this has probably happened to you. It has certainly happened to me. And that's why we, well, not just because it's happened to me, but this is something that does come up in the community where we get questions that are asked of, hey, I had a client bring up this question. I'm not totally sure how to answer what the best approach is. So we just wanted to bring this up and hold this up to be able to make you feel better about maybe not knowing the answers and know what to do when you don't, so you don't screw it up. Yeah. And, and the answer is you, you just lie, make something yeah. up. The clients are coming to you because they don't know anything about finances. So it's not like they're going to be able to figure out that you lied. The you taller know, I, the tail, the better. I have four open heart surgeries scheduled in my garage this afternoon. So your little kids are going to be fun. I'm going to ask them math questions. Uh, just be like, how much has Professor Father Troche been lying to you about things? Okay, joking aside. Joking aside, but I mean, it is important to, sometimes we kind of feel like, well, I can just fake it. And hopefully the reaction that you got from what I just said you can kind of realize, eh, maybe that maybe my temptation to fake it is not a good idea. Right. And there are varying levels of faking it, right? There's I have right. zero idea about what I'm talking about and I'm gonna pretend like I do. There is also I have a pretty good idea that this is accurate, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And so we'll address how to handle each one. Yes. Because the nuance it, it matters. Yeah. And then there's the, I think I know, but I actually don't, which is the hardest one to deal with. <laughs> no, I don't know what I don't know. Peace. Exactly. Yeah. So let's start off with we, that temptation to want to give the answer, that temptation to shut down that sort of to lie without lying. Right. So it's not that you're necessarily lying. You're just going to, fake that you know the answer or come across with a lot of confidence and hope that you're right. That comes from a very specific place. And it comes from a place of insecurity and not wanting the client to realize that you don't know everything, especially since they are paying you ostensibly for the knowledge that they've asked you the question about. Right. And everyone gets that twinge. I get that twinge. So when a client asks me a question and 
it's not something that I've dealt with recently, so it's not something that I know absolutely the answer to. I get that twinge of, oh God, I don't have what I want, which is an immediate perfect answer that I can just spit out. And there's like this little fear response that happens inside of you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a normal human response. <laughs> I was going to say, own that language, Joshua, a fear response that happens inside of me, Joshua. Oh, yeah. You being the collective you, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I just yes. want to give you a hard time. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And the first thing is not to feel ashamed of that fear response, not to feel like you're a bad person because a part of you wanted to lie or didn't want to admit it. Or just wanted that to is normal. You had the answer or wish you Right. Had. All of that is normal. So, you know, normalize that that's just a part of being a professional especially a professional that provides advice, you're going to have these experiences and you want to actually embrace it. I actually try to cultivate that fear response because what it does for me is for questions that I know the answer to absolutely 100% confident. I literally just looked it up 10 minutes ago. I still want to create that fear response in me because that triggers me to say, okay, here is what the answer is. There are always exceptions. There are always nuances. I'd like to take some time to research it to make sure that the nuances of your situation don't cause us any surprises that we don't want to see. So that I'm constantly avoiding putting out there that this is the absolute answer and there is no nuance or wiggle room or exception or anything else. Because generally, no matter how simple it is, there is always nuance, exceptions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and I like the way you framed it there because it says even that questioning, I'm going to look for new information or I want to gather more data so that I can make sure I'm doing what's in your best interest. I think that's yeah. a really good reframe. Yeah. And we oftentimes have this feeling like, well, if I do that, then the client's going to think that I'm not the expert. The client's going to think that I'm not the perfect person. And we hold ourselves to that standard. And unless we are like crazy, we would never hold anyone else to that standard. If you had your attorney who you hired because they are an expert in writing contracts for you and you're hiring them to write that contract. And they say, yeah, great. I, I've got the language, everything else. You know, I know that there's this in, uh, Investors Advisors Act out there that may throw a wrinkle into some of the things. So I want to research that a little bit more to make sure that we have in your contract the things that you need to protect yourself. Would any of you think, oh, well, this is the wrong attorney for me. I definitely don't want this person. Right? Probably not. That is literally what you hired the attorney for, is to find those obscure things that could throw a wrench in, in the system and solve it before it happens. And we do the same thing with our doctors. We do the same thing with accountants or CPAs. Why do we not allow for the same things for ourselves? And so, you know, don't be afraid of the fact that you don't know the answer to something. <laughs> And be willing to, to admit that to the client and say, this is what I'm going to do. These are the things that I'm going to research. 
because ultimately clients appreciate that. You know, the more you do this, the more you will experience that clients don't look down on you for it. Clients actually have this visible sigh of relief, right? That someone's taking care of them, that they're not, that you're not just flying by the seat of your pants. And many of them, as you do it more and more, will actually thank you and almost be apologetic of, well, I, I hate to have you, you know, spend your time on this. So literally they are seeing so much value in it that they're feeling apologetic that they're forcing, they're having you do this. Yep. And it's really important to have that mindset because that's how you protect your integrity. That's how you protect the relationship with the client. I have had many, many students that have said, you know, one of the things that they like about me as a professor is that I don't just try to make up the answer, right? That I will say, you know what? Great idea. I have no idea. Let me get back to you next week on that. Yeah. And they say, we know our other professors just make it up and hope that they're right or hope that everything, and it destroys the trust they have in those other professors. And these are, again, students who wear, the professor is supposed to know a bunch more than them, but people can just tell. You gave that answer a little too quickly with a little too much bravado. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, and a good question from Chi. Uh, yes. How do you charge clients for all the extra work that you're doing outside of the sessions? Yeah, that's a tough one. That could almost be an entire thing on its own. Yeah. So it really depends on uh, your relationship with the client from a professional and your revenue model. Assuming that your revenue model is, I provide this benefit to you and you pay me for it, whether that's, I have a three-month program and that three-month program is $4,000 or whatever the number is, or I have a monthly ongoing engagement with you then most of those answers, uh, most of that research is just going to be a sunk cost, right? That's going to be something that you're going to have to do. And the key thing here is making sure that you price that in. So if you're going to meet with a client every month and you want to earn $60 per hour meeting with the clients, and it's a one-hour session that you do every month with the client, whether that's every month for three months or every month on an ongoing basis. Don't charge $60 per session to pay yourself just for that one hour. Yep. Have 15 minutes in there for outside research. Have 20 minutes in there for preparing for the meeting. Have another 10 minutes for the notes that you're going to take after the meeting. And it doesn't mean you're going to do 15 minutes of research for every client. It's going to be, here's five clients I did no research for. And this client I did an hour and a half. <laughs> it's hourly. Then what it comes down to is communicating with the client why, what the value of that is. And charge them the hourly rate for it. In determining whether or not you should, you should charge them that extra amount. One of the things that I will look at is how much is this something that I'm going, this research, something that I'm going to be able to reuse for other clients. Yeah. So if I'm able to reuse it for 90% of my clients, 
not going to charge them for the research, even if I have an hourly engagement, mainly because it's going to be very easy to recoup that cost <laughs> with the benefit for all my other clients. On the other hand, if this is a situation that is just for that client, I absolutely am going to charge them. And there's gray area in between. And that just speaks to why you want to have a niche because the more yep. broad-based it is, the more you're going to be doing all this random research that you will never use again. That's why when you niche and when you have also a set process, you can't completely limit the questions that are going to come up. But the more standardized your process is, you'll also then, for the most part, I think a combination of having a specific niche and having the set process, it will more focus in the types of questions that would be asked. And then those questions that are asked, like you said, in your 90% example, will be applicable for more and more and more clients. So great question, Chi. So then the question becomes, so where do you get the information? <laughs> what do you do when you don't know the answer? Yeah. And the most wrong answer to that is Google. Do not look on Google. <laughs> what you're going to get is generally going to be, well, one of three things. Either it is going to be a article or a resource that is designed to sell a particular product, which means that there's likely to be bias in it, or it's going to be a article or resource that is designed for the general public for mass consumption, meaning not only is it going to have just, is it going to not have the exceptions in it? It generally won't talk about the exceptions, that the exceptions exist, mainly because that doesn't encourage sharing because once you've read it, well, wait a second, but now I have to worry about all this other stuff. This didn't really help me, or at least I don't feel that it helped me. And so therefore, I'm not going to share this on to other people, right? And the third option is that it's by people who don't actually know what they're talking about. And I mean, there is the fourth option that it actually is accurate for that particular situation, maybe, hypothetically, possibly. potentially. So now there is a fourth option, but you won't find it through Google. Okay. Okay. And that fourth option is having resources that you trust. Yep. Kitsis is an example of this for me. I use him as a resource, not only because I trust him, but because they are extraordinarily well-researched and ridiculously long articles. They are thousands and thousands of words long on individual topics. And this is a resource, Michael Kitsis. I think it's K-I-T-C-E-S dot com. Yeah. It's uh, a financial planning and investment financial. type thing. Yeah. But uh, if you read more have... what financial coaching is and how to start your own firm, that was on Michael Kitsis's blog. Yes. If you look behind me, you will see a bunch of books. These are not just for show. These are literally a tax books and retirement plan things and other things along those lines. And so those are things that I will use as resources. They are textbooks from CFP, right? Now, as a professor, I get new copies anytime I want. So that makes it a little cheaper for me to be able to keep up to date with it. 
It would get expensive to buy a new set of $300 per books uh, on an annual basis. But that is something that, you know, those, that's another example, having a personal library of resources that you can go to, you can trust. Primary resources. So, for example, the IRS website, pretty good place to start looking when you want to uh, look at something tax related. And again, you don't want to go to Google for that. You want to go to irs.gov and then look for the specific thing that you're looking for. And that's why we have the Knowledge Center in launch is to be able to give people the ability to just look something up, get some information, and then relay it back to their clients. And kind of having that, I don't want to call it a safety net, but it's a combo safety net slash confirmation resource slash I don't deal with this very often. And so I just want to get a refresher on it type thing. And those are videos just for people who don't know what the Knowledge Center are. They're videos on personal finance topics ranging from budgeting and cash flow to more complex things like insurance and estate planning that are uh, available for members of FCN Launch that are taught by Joshua Escalante Troshi himself, a personal finance professor, so has some credibility behind it. Just a little bit. Yeah, so that's where you want to go to get the information. You know, it's very important that you have, if, if those of you who are AFCs, keep your AFC material because it, it's really important to not rely on Google, to be able to rely on things that are more trustworthy and things that are designed a little bit more for the professional rather than marketed toward the general public. Yep. And for example, if you're an AFC member, you get access to, I think it's quarterly, the quarterly journal. So they'll have articles written by AFCs who are experts in particular areas that, so like here's information specific to HSAs or here's information specific to, I'm trying to even think of what the ones from the most recent quarterly are, but another way to have it vetted from specific professionals that are experts in that specific part of the field. Yeah. Um, So why professional memberships are also, or can be really helpful in that regard with continuing education. Yeah. There's Uh, a bunch of CFP too, but that's a lot of that is not what financial coaches work on. So. Correct. (laughs) I love Chi. He's like, I'm still looking for the shoe box that Joshua hides all of his money in, in FCN. (laughs) It's not in the knowledge center. Chi, that is a great callback. That is a callback from from like two months ago. Like eight videos we did ago. Honestly, tip of the hat to you, Chi. Wow, that's some comedy talent right there. Callback. Yeah. So what else? What else do do you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, there's not too much in here. I think relying on others would be the other piece. So uh, where appropriate, rely on other professionals. So yeah. CPAs financial advisors, attorneys. Yeah. And, and it's usually a good idea to have a group that, that, that you can rely on. As an example, there is a, a financial advisor. So it could also be other coaches. There is a financial advisor that specializes in their niches, people with government pensions. Like that is what she does. And so 
when I have a client that has a government pension, I will sometimes hire them to consult with me um, to make sure that I'm not missing anything related to that. And so look for those uh, for those things where it makes sense to bring that person in and to help you and support you. Uh, I personally just pay for it. It's part of my operating costs. Uh, you can also advise the client you need to talk to someone so that the client pays for it. That, and that's completely kind of up to you and your business model and what makes sense. There's nothing. It's not wrong doing either one of those. And this comes back to the benefit of having a niche as well is then if you have questions that are going to be relevant for, well, if you have a niche, then partnering with other lawyers, CPAs, uh, financial planners or advisors who also specialize in that niche will just make their answers that much more relevant and helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so another reason to have a niche and connect with other professionals who also have that niche. Yeah. The, the final thing, unless something else or another question pops up, but the final thing that I'll say is you need to do this more than you think you do. We tend to have this belief partially because of the, as Carl Richards calls it, the financial porn industry. We tend to have this belief that personal finance is simple. This idea of throw it in an S&P 500 fund and you'll be good to go. The problem is for most questions in the real world, it gets real complex real quick because it's not as simple as if I pay down this loan, how much interest will I save in calculating that interest? There's also what are the tax implications? What are the dominoes where... If this happens, then this, then this, then this, and it causes this tax implication four steps down. What are the potential liability implications with regard to does that make the asset easier to um, acquire in a lawsuit, right? Or to lose in a lawsuit? Like if you pay off your mortgage faster. How does this decision impact all these other decisions, right? A great example of this is people... You always see, in fact, you'll see comments like this all the time in the financial coaches community about, well, where do we stick money to get the most out of a savings account or the most out of an emergency fund? I actually tell my clients, we're not worried about getting the most out of the emergency fund. Sure, going from 0.5% to 0.6% is going to get you an extra $4 a year. Great. You can buy four Pepsis. Congratulations. That's fighting the wrong dragon. That's going after something that doesn't really matter. And we and I tell my clients, we don't look at the emergency fund as this method of making money. Clients are sometimes, I've got so much in cash, it's dragging down my portfolio. That cash is there so that we can take more risk with the other aspects of the portfolio because we have this safety net. And so trying to get more money out of that will actually cause problems in the portfolio. It changes the risk profile overall. And that may mean that we lose far more in potential returns off the portfolio. Not something that financial coaches are going to deal with, but- You could have at risk 
if they wanted to start their own business, if they wanted to quit their job soon. Exactly. And you, it's, it's important to realize that nothing is an island, right? Your emergency fund doesn't sit there as an island by itself to deal with if I lose my job without impacting anything else in the financial plan. It does impact everything else in the financial plan. And it's important to have that realization that there's always going to be nuances. There's always going to be these exceptions. There's always going to be that little piece that you may not understand. And it's important. And that's why I have that, I cultivate that fear response in me, right? To force myself to pause and say, this is what the basics are. However, I want to take some time to do some research to determine if there's anything missing. I don't want any surprises. And there's always going to be more. I think a takeaway that I want to add is don't let this scare you into lack of action. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm never going to know anything. I'm never going to know everything. And so like what, shoot, like where do I go from here if there are five things that can be impacted down the road? We would have no doctors if that was the case. Correct. Right. I mean, we learn new things about medicine all the time. Right. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's finding that balance of, okay, I get that I can't know everything and how a domino, eight dominoes down will be impacted. But I do want to be cognizant of how a this seemingly simplistic answer can have an impact. And, and I think how this can be helpful for coaches is to think about conversations that would be helpful to have with clients to frame the fact that that is a reality. So what conversations can you have with clients around, hey, here is how what seems like this island, actually, when you go underneath the water far enough, everything's connected. Yeah. It's just the water hiding the, the, the connections. Try it. We'll see how that analogy holds up over time. But it's that <laughs> idea that, okay, these actually are connected. And here is why or here's how, at least like some examples of how these are connected. Here's how we're going to approach thinking of these and how you can help empower the client to think and ask questions and be able to understand the complexity of things that on the surface seem simple, but have more depth and nuance to them. And that can also, through those conversations, provide even more like value to you as a coach, mm -hmm. because when they understand the complexity that's that goes into the interconnectedness of it all, then they will appreciate your expertise in addition yeah. to you not always having the answer because yeah. they'll get an understanding of how in-depth it really is. Yeah, and what I would say, what I would add to that is you knowing things is not as important as you understanding that you don't know things. And I don't mean that from the perspective of protecting clients. I mean that from the perspective of how you provide value to clients. There is an enormous amount of value in you not figuring out the complexity and having all the answers. There's an enormous amount of value to your clients in you being a person that they can come to and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. And you saying, okay, this is going to impact a bunch of other stuff. I have no idea how it's going to impact it, but I know this has tendrils going on to these other areas. You need to talk to an attorney. You need to talk to a CPA. 
you don't even need to have the answers. There's enormous value in you being that initial person that they can come to and identify, oh, this could have caused a problem. So, and you solve the problem before it happened by referring them to someone else, by referring them to CPA. So don't feel like because you start to see all this complexity and you don't understand how it all fits together, that that devalues you in some way, because it doesn't. It actually increases your value because you're able to see the things that the client wasn't even aware could possibly exist. And that's enormously valuable to clients. I think that's it. 30 minutes almost on the nose. Almost on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when a new episodes are released and it helps iTunes and Stitcher and everyone else know that you like the podcast so it recommends it to other people. And if you can think of one person, either a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with and be helped by what we talked about today, share it with them as well. And if you're ready to build a successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with those clients, and run your business efficiently. Head to financialcoachesnetwork.com backslash start here. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.